Welcome to part four of the small group restart. If you missed the first three parts of the series, well, what have you been doing? You can catch up over at alanwhite.org forward slash restart. Today, we're going to look at the most effective ways to connect people into small groups in the new normal of life and ministry. The way you connect people into groups will greatly determine whether these groups continue. So don't miss this. Now, grab a cup of coffee or whatever you like to drink, silence your cell phones, and let's get started with the small group restart. For more on the small group restart, jump on over to alanwhite.org forward slash restart. Welcome to the Exponential Groups podcast. I'm your host, Alan White. This podcast is designed to help you take the guesswork out of groups. In each episode, you will discover effective ways to recruit more leaders, form better groups, and make more disciples. Please subscribe to this monthly podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcast. Oh, hi. Welcome back to session four. Uh, my name's Alan, and uh, let's get started. Let's talk about our current situation in the world and the culture that we live in nowadays, because, you know, we, we can't do ministry in a culture that existed 20 years ago or 50 years ago or two years ago. So what, what are we dealing with? Well, the culture has shifted and it shifted very rapidly and things, things just got sped up. Things that were working started working better and things that were not working just kind of crashed and burned. And uh, some of the other things were just scratching our heads and still trying to figure it out. You see, content delivery has changed. Remember back in the, the days, if you're my age, I'm 57, um, you know, the remote uh, in my house growing up, well, the remote control, you're looking at them right here. Click, 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 click. And you have these rabbit ears and we got four channels. I know some people think, how old is this guy? As my kids say, our parents were born in the 1900s. Um, so old. Um, but you watched a TV show when the TV show was on. And you couldn't watch it later. You couldn't watch it the next day. There was no VCR. There was no DVR. There was no on-demand video. Um, that was a long time ago. But content delivery has changed. And some of our things that we do, some of our meetings that we have as a church, we still act like we're back in the day that people can only do it at this hour, at this day, at this time. We live in this world now that I can go on here and I can select an app and I can watch any show anytime I want to um, before they take it off, right? And um, and I'm in control of all of that. Well, that's not necessarily bad. The thing is that when we are, we're living in a digital world, we cannot operate an analog church in a digital world. We can keep the analog piece for the people who want that, but we've got to implement the digital piece in order to keep being for, moving forward, in order to reach the people that we're reaching. There are a lot of churches that because of online services, online small groups, online opportunities, that those churches that were local before the pandemic have become national ministries. And I know of one pastor who said he has small groups now on five, five, there was my hand, five different continents. Work has changed. It's decentralized. It's remote. There are some people that are meeting back in an office on location. I've worked remotely for years. I'm currently working remotely as a life group pastor for a church in Lansing, Michigan, and I live 
in Topeka, Kansas. I am 732 miles away from the church, but with cell phones and with email and with Zoom meetings, um, I keep in contact with my leaders. I keep in contact with the executive pastor. I keep in contact with the senior pastor. And then every four to six weeks, I show up on site and have meetings then that I need to do in person. But far more is done. And you think about your ministry. You talk to more people on the phone. You talk to more people over Zoom. You communicate with more people over email or other services than you actually see them in person. This is the way that our world is. And sometimes instead of getting all set up, ready to go to a meeting, uh, people, you know, have dinner and get dressed and get to take the kids along and check the kids in childcare and sit down for the meeting and then get the kids from childcare and get in the car and drive home and put the kids to bed and then get up the next day to go to work, go to school. Well, what if they just flipped on their computer and had a meeting for 30 minutes? We have small group leaders. The world has changed. The world has changed. The world has gone digital. That in a digital world, the church cannot remain analog, 100%. So let's talk about group meeting preferences because this has even changed. Some people want to worship in person and they want to have an in-person group. And this is the way that we've done it forever. And this works great for some people, but it doesn't work for everybody. So let's talk about other possible options. You see, there are people who worship online, but they will meet in person in a group. And so maybe it's still because of cautions over health concerns that meeting in person for worship is too many people and too many germs spreading around. But meeting in person for a group is a different story. And so they're okay meeting in person with the group, but they're, they still want to meet online for church. It could also be that the relational part of their attachment to your church is met in the small group. Whereas sitting in rows, facing one direction, participating in the worship service, if it's just a matter of programming, which the worship service is more than that, but if it's a matter of programming, well, it's easier to stay home and watch it online for some people. I think they're missing out, but um, you understand what I'm saying. Some people will worship in person, but they want to meet with their group online. They found a convenience to meeting with their group online for several reasons. Maybe they have young children, so they can put their children to bed and then they can meet with their group online after their children have gone to bed. Maybe they have a group they can't agree on a day and time together, and so they choose some asynchronous method like a Facebook group or a text message group or Slack or Marco Polo or Discord or one of those platforms that they can keep up with their group. So they'll worship in person, but their group meets online. Maybe they have group members who've moved away. Maybe they have group members that are snowbirds. Well, snowbirds can stay connected to the group back home if they can meet with them online. That's not a bad thing. And then there's some people that would be online worship and online groups. And uh, maybe they're not ready to meet in person. That could be possible. Maybe it's just more convenient for them. They're going to worship on in the online service, and then they're going to meet with their group online. Maybe they're in another part of the country. And so they connect with people in still other parts of the country that are connected to your church, but they're in a group. There's all kinds of amazing possibilities and very few limits here, except for what we're willing to allow to happen. Now, hybrid groups, that means 
you know, a group of eight people are gathered in the living room and then one of the chairs has a laptop on it and there's somebody on the laptop. Those groups are a little difficult because, you know, uh, the person on the laptop can't see everybody in the room and uh, sometimes it's hard to hear them. So for people who want to try a hybrid group solution, um, that's great. But I wouldn't go into hybrid groups wholesale at this point. I, I, uh, I think it's a rough go. And so um, let people experiment with that if they want to, but I wouldn't put that out as a major strategy of any kind. So here's the problem. The problem is that there are different opinions in the same group. Do we meet in person? Do we meet online? Do we meet on Zoom? Do we meet on Slack? Do we meet in a coffee shop? Do we meet in a house? Do we meet in a church? There are different opinions. There are different locations in the same group. Maybe you're not in the same state or you're, you know, if people live, somebody lives 20 miles north of the church and somebody lives 20 miles south of the church, that's quite a commute for them to get together to go from one house to the other. Um, sometimes that's a little complicated. But there's an opportunity for every group to become two groups. So if they don't agree on a platform, then you can have, you know, that group become two groups and meet on different platforms or two different locations. Um, sometimes this is the solution. Some people want to meet in person. Some people want to meet online. Start an in-person group. Start an online group. All you need is a leader. Let's talk about group meeting preferences. You see, online video groups are one thing, and most people go to Zoom, but there are so many other, you know, uh, platforms out there uh, that you can do online. You don't have to become experts in all of those platforms. You don't have to become an expert in Zoom. All you need to do is to allow people to choose a platform that they're familiar with, a platform that they're comfortable, even if you've never heard of it before. You know, some people have never heard of GoToMeeting. I used GoToMeeting for years. I switched to Zoom because it was cheaper. Um, you know, or there's WebEx or there's, you know, there's all of these things, whatever they're familiar with, wherever they have an account, maybe they have an account with their work and that's what they're going to use. Maybe they have an audio only group. It could be a conference line. It could be using Zoom only with audio. Maybe it could be a platform like Clubhouse and you can do a private group in Clubhouse. And maybe they just meet by audio because they are, they have Zoom fatigue. They don't want to look at a camera. They don't want to be on a screen. They don't want to dress up, you know, or at least half dress up uh, for an in-person meeting on, or a Zoom meeting. Um, it could be an asynchronous group. I mentioned this. It could be a Facebook group. It could be a group text. It could be Marco Polo. It could be Slack. It could be uh, meeting on Discord. Uh, my first online group was in 1994 on CompuServe. CompuServe, yeah, a dial-up modem, and all we had was a chat room and a message board. But you know, in that group, all those years ago, uh, we had a member of that group that uh, came to Christ as a result of our little CompuServe group, uh, no video, no audio, and he's still a friend of mine to this day. So I may be, you know, the grandfather of online small groups, but whatever platform people are comfortable with, whatever people they're comfortable with, give them a resource, give them permission, and give them a little bit of training, give them a coach, and get them started. Now, there's some digitally interactive formats like uh, Raleigh, and an example of that would be on Study Gateway, there's a free study called Get Out of Your Head by Jenny Allen. And so you could see where people watch the video, they interact with other people that are also doing the study. You can do this locally at your church. Or in this case, they're doing it nationally and sometimes the author even interacts with them. So there are a lot of different methods of doing group. The message is the same. 
You can do the same biblically-based study in an in-person group, in a video group, in an audio group, in an asynchronous group, in a digitally interactive group. The message is the same, but look at all of the methods we have at our disposal. We're eliminating excuses of why people can't be in a group. So, but are meetings the only thing? I would have to say no. When you look at some of the things that Scripture tells us about one another, See, Jesus never said, go and make meetings. He said to go and make disciples. So encourage one another daily. So if you were just meeting people face-to-face in person, how do you encourage somebody daily? Well, maybe the people you live with, maybe the people you work with, well, at least five days a week, you're not going to see them every day of the week. But what about everybody else? Well, we have these things. We have these phones in our lives. And they're always within five feet of us on average. And the average adult touches their phone, get this, 2,700 times a day. Now, that's every letter of every text of every email, 2,700 times a day. So if, if we look at our screen time, it could be ridiculous. So when we have these things near us and when we have these things um, that in our hand and using them, why not send somebody a message, say, hey, I'm thinking about you today, or I'm praying for you today. You know, I've started with my iPhone, I've started using the voice text feature. And on my friend's birthdays, I call them up. I don't call them up. I'm sorry. I use the voice text. I record a text and I sing, happy birthday to you. And you know what? It means something to them. It wasn't just happy birthday, exclamation point, send. I sang to them. I gave them a little part of myself. Um, So how do we encourage one another daily? My wife is using Marco Polo. She grew up in California and I took her to the strange land of Kansas. And uh, she uses Marco Polo to communicate back and forth with her sister and back and forth with some of her friends from high school that are now all over the country, all the way up to Alaska. And they encourage each other. They'll leave a, make a video, send it. on the app and then their friend will make a video and send it back on the app and they're encouraged and they're in conversation. Now, sometimes they call, sometimes they email, sometimes they see each other in person, but they rarely see each other in person. But if we're commanded to encourage one another daily, how are we carrying it out? And this digital world that we live in is making it more possible if we think about it and do it intentionally. We spur one another on to love and good deeds. Well, how do we do that? We can, we can do that digitally. We can do that by serving together. Uh, we can do that by, you know, the group getting together and uh, using a little positive peer pressure and getting them to serve the poor and to help out a school that's in need or some other way. Um, Hebrews 10.25 says, don't give up the me- give up meeting together. And we take that as, you know, you need to show up in person on the Sunday morning service. Well, that that's one application of that. But I would say in the New Testament world, Uh, their Sunday morning service wasn't exactly like ours and was probably more like a small group. So don't give up meeting together. But when circumstances are hard or it's hard to get together, people live geographically, um, you know, distant from each other. There are a lot of digital ways that they could get together and not give up meeting together, even though it's not ideally meeting in person. So why is it so hard to get people into groups? Well, some people say, I don't have time. Well, here's the thing. 
Everybody has the exact same amount of time, whether you're in a group or not in a group. People in groups don't have like two extra hours in the week. They have 170 hours. Everybody else has 168. No, everybody has the same amount of time. So when they say I don't have time, what what they're saying is a small group is not a priority to me. Now, they don't want to say that because, you know, but when they say I don't have time, that's exactly what they mean. So they have, sometimes you have little or no airtime in the worship service to advertise groups, to cast vision for groups. And that could be a problem as well. Maybe there are a thousand other announcements going on and groups get lost somewhere in that. And, you know, I don't think we need a thousand announcements. I don't think we need more than a couple of announcements because people don't pay attention after a couple. They just kind of zone out. Um, so when we're in an emphasis of groups, we need to clear the deck and talk about groups um, and not advertise everything to everybody. The most ridiculous thing happened to me recently on Facebook. I had an ad that kept popping up on my Facebook feed asking me if I was interested in selling my funeral home or cemetery. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't own a, a funeral home or cemetery. And I'm not sure how in the world I was in their demographic that they would reach out to me about selling my funeral home or cemetery. So I, of course, replied to the message and said very sarcastically, I'm so glad you found me. I was just thinking about selling my funeral home. I would love to talk. I know you think I'm terrible. So they replied back and they said, great, we'd love to talk to you. Please give us more information about your funeral home. To which I commented and said, I don't own a funeral home. I, your ad agency should be fired. They, they've done a terrible job of advertising for you. Well, we do that in church sometimes. We throw out all these things to everybody and then people zone out. Well, but how are the prime timers going to know that they're having a get together on Thursday morning? Well, put up a note to them on Facebook because they're all on Facebook. Uh, my dad's 81. He takes those quizzes every day. He's on Facebook. Or send them a postcard in the mail. But you don't need to announce in the service to everybody of every age that the prime timers are having a get-together. See, there's an unfairness to being fair. Because not all ministries are equal. Everybody could be at a small group. Only people who are 65 or older could be a prime timer. Only women can go to women's ministry. Only men can go to men's ministry. And then you get further, further down from there. So figure out targeted ways to advertise to people. I didn't mean to camp out on this. But the big things, the big rocks, the things that affect everybody, use the service time, use your airtime for that, which includes small groups, because anybody can be in a small group. Um, See, this is just a new version of an old problem. The passive recruiting methods aren't effective. Passive recruiting methods aren't effective. Well, what do I mean by that? Well, sign-up cards. So somebody signs up and they turn them in and then the small group pastors take the card and figure out what group they should go in and you do all of that and then they don't even show up. The same thing is true of a website. They find a group on a website and they don't know who it is. I remember doing this at a church that we were members at at one point and um, I finally, I didn't even know what group to try, let alone what group to join. And finally, I had one of the groups, there's a picture of the leader. So I clicked on the picture and the picture came up and I go, oh yeah, I'm definitely not going to that group. Um, or a group directory. They're all passive methods of recruiting leaders. You see, it's a ton of administrative work with very, very little result. I was attending one of the largest churches of the country. And uh, not because it was a large church, because our kids got invited and they had a really pretty awesome kids ministry. So we just stayed there. 
And I asked the small group pastor, because in order to sign up for a group, you went to a next step area, which was a bank of computers. You found a group, you signed up for a group. So well, how many people signed up to be in a group last week? And he said, oh, it was 53 people signed up to be in a group. And he said, okay, now out of that, how many of his people were contacted by the leader? So he got out of his phone and he looked at his app to find out how many people were con contacted by the leader. And he said, it looks like, um, you know, 26 of them were contacted by the leader. Now, if you're doing the math at home, uh, we just cut our number in half. Then we asked him, we said, well, out of those, how many people showed up for the group? And his response was, well, we don't know. And this was one of the largest churches in the country, and they didn't know. So they have the same problems that you have with these passive recruiting methods. See, passive methods are seem efficient, but they're not effective. Passive, can't talk. Passive methods seem efficient, but they're not effective. They're really not. Why do passive recruiting methods fail? Well, the prospect is not handed off to the leader. The leader does not contact the prospect. The prospect doesn't show up to the meeting. The prospect doesn't stick with the group. Why? You've set them up on a blind date. Have you ever been on a blind date? It's not comfortable. It's very awkward. And so when somebody fills out a sign-up card, they sign up on a website, they look at a group directory, they don't know whose group it is, they don't know the leader, they don't know whose house they're going to, so they've effectively set themselves up on a blind date. And some of them won't show up, and some of them will come one time, they'll never come back again, some will come for a little while. Why? Because it's like you know, throwing darts at a dartboard. You don't know what you're getting into. So you want to use active recruiting methods. Well, what are active recruiting methods? Well, the, the best way to get into a group is to start the group. Because if you start the group, guess what? You are in. Get everybody to start a group. Find their friends, start a group. Second best way to get into a group is personal invitation. So that person who wants to start a group, they make a list of their friends, their neighbors, their co-workers, other people that they know. They pray and ask God who they should invite. And then they call those people up. They send them an email. They send them a text and they say, I, I'm starting a group. I'd love to have you in my group. And then they, a couple people they invite come. And then they say, well, who do you know? And then have those people invite some more people and you started on relationship. You don't start it on throwing a bunch of strangers together, hoping that they'll become friends because that typically does not work very well. But you say, no, wait a minute. Our church is large enough that, you know, there'll be some people who want to get into a group, but they won't be asked. So what do we do with them? Well, I'm glad that you asked. The third best way to get into a group is personal introduction. Personal introduction would be like a connection event or a small group fair where you have all of the leaders present. We used to have all of the leaders and their group members present. And then people who wanted to join a group would go around and they would meet everybody. Now, sometimes they knew each other from somewhere. They went to school together. They graduated from high school together. They used to work together or some other kind of synergy like that. But at a minimum, they get a sense in you know, 60 to 90 seconds of, is this a person that I can hang out with for the next six weeks? And then they sign up to be in that specific group. Now, do you see what I just did? We did groups that were more relationally based at the start, and we just took away the whole administrative task of placing people into groups. Wouldn't that feel good? But what about... Here's the thing. 
Brett Eastman told me this once. He said, let the exceptions be the exceptions. Let the exceptions be the exceptions. Sometimes we'll create an entire system to accommodate the exceptions. You don't need to do that. If somebody says, well, I need a group that meets at this place and time on this night with childcare and et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know what? Handle that exception. You have somebody that says, oh, I want to lead, but you know, they have a world of problems that they need to sort out before they step up to leading a group. Let the exceptions be the exceptions. Your problems, after many, many years of doing this, the problems amount to about 2%. So if you have 100 groups, that's exactly 2. If you have 1,000 groups, that might be 20. That's not very much. And sometimes we allow that 2% to keep the 98% from starting and succeeding at groups. So let the exceptions be the exceptions. Big takeaway here is this. Give your, per, your people permission and opportunity to gather a group. Give your people permission and opportunity to gather a group. And they will be creative. They will figure things out. I had a group that met on a commuter train at one point that went from Stockton, California to San Jose. And every Tuesday morning, they had a Bible study on the commuter train because it was the leader's idea. And all of these digital platforms we've talked about, there are groups that are meeting there right now because it was the leader's idea. The leader was familiar. Wherever people are finding community, give them permission and opportunity to start a group in that community. The power of permission and opportunity work this way. I worked with both the United Methodist Church and an Assemblies of God Church. Both churches were 2,500 on the weekend. Both churches connected 5,000 people into groups. I worked with a church in Baltimore, a church of 600 people who started 167 groups. Where did they get people? Each group had like three people in it? No, they invited their friends. I worked with a church of 10,000 in San Diego that their groups increased by 211% in 2020. You remember what happened in 2020, right? The Michigan church that I'm currently serving, we've increased our groups by 176% uh, since 2021. Again, these are difficult times and it's not magic. It's all of the stuff that I'm telling you in this series that we applied to the church and this is what happened. So what's working? Short-term, short-term groups to get started, gathering friends, a comfortable environment in person or online. Maybe you don't call it a group. Get together with your friends and do a study. So we didn't say leader. We didn't say group. We said friends. We said get together. Maybe you call it a book club or an e-group or a series group. Call it something different. If you have life groups or small groups or grow groups and there are high qualifications to lead those groups, just start another category of groups as a way of recruiting leaders that you're going to develop into those fully qualified leaders like we talked about last time. So just call it something different because language determines culture. So call it something different. Give them a trial run with your driver's license 
and then develop them into the leaders that you want them to be. What could your church launch in this new world? Okay, here's your assignment for today. How could your church connect twice as many people into groups in the next 12 months? So you look at your in-person attendance, you look at your online attendance, you look at your current number of people that are participating in groups. How could you connect twice as many people into groups in the next 12 months? It's not impossible. I told you my story. We did this in one day. And then we did it again six months later. I'm not saying you have to do it in one day. But think about the possibilities. Think about what you currently have working for people and allow that to work for them. But why are other people saying no to that? And what could you offer them that they might say yes to? So tomorrow is our last day. And tomorrow we're going to talk about the system that makes this all work for the long haul. We don't want six weeks of excitement and then watch the whole thing fall off the cliff. We don't want 40 days of awesome and then one day of uh uh-oh. Um, we're going to talk about the system that makes this work for the long haul. Okay. Tomorrow's session is the last one in this five-part small group restart series. We will tackle what's working and what's not working in this new normal. It's not normal for sure, but there are some things that are really working well. In 2020, one church in California grew their groups by 211% in the middle of the pandemic. A Michigan church has seen their group surpass 176% of where they started a year ago. So don't miss this one. And then again, don't worry, in February, we're going back to the normal for the uh, Exponential Groups podcast with our special guest, Heather Zippel from National Community Church. So you don't want to guess about what's working with small groups right now. So join us tomorrow.